0: It's less likely than James Tony taking someone down. More improbable than the UFC coming back to your town. But Chad, Chad and Ben are the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast.
1: Ben, we are a little bit less than one month away from Bellator one twenty from the beautiful Lander's Center in South Haven, Mississippi. Uh the first pay-per-view card for the Bellator Wait, MMA promotion. I thought it was in Memphis. I think it's outside of Memphis. That's ca-
2: outside of Memphis in another state?
1: Yeah. You'd have to uh call up the uh the the Google Maps there to to check the uh to check the geography, I'm just looking at a thing that says May 17th at the Landers Center. Uh, you, well, might, you want to sleuth that out if you, if you want to over there. All right
2: let's let's get on let's get on the Google Maps and figure out where the hell South Haven, Mississippi is. I feel like we had a,
1: a situation here though, Ben, where a couple of weeks ago on the podcast uh, we had some fairly nice things to say about Bellator. We had both uh, watched the event uh, from start to finish and came away with some positive positive feelings about what what they had going on there, and then. In true Bellator fashion, they dropped this bomb on us uh, shortly thereafter. Rumors began to swirl, and then this past week we had it officially confirmed. Uh, One of the attractions, and I'm putting that in quotes, uh, on this Bellator pay-per-view card that we're going to get at light heavyweight uh, will be Bellator middleweight champion Alexander Shlomenko taking on the Huntington Beach bad boy Tito Ortiz. Uh, I guess my first question for you is... Why didn't Bellator learn its lesson the first time about putting Tito Ortiz on one of its pay-per-view cards?
2: Well, at least now he's in the sort of fight where something happens, say, with his pile of trash neck or something, or, uh, you know, he gets a dang fever or something and, and has to pull out. Doesn't really change the quality of the card too much, right? Like, he's not, like, a, a centerpiece that we're building around.
1: Yeah, no, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, we could do without this one if it, <laughs> if it doesn't happen. Uh, we'll just go ahead and slide the preliminary main event of Czech Congo against Eric Smith up onto the pay-per-view card, and, and we'll be golden.
2: Uh, by the way, it looks like right now in current traffic conditions, you're looking at a 17-minute drive from Memphis, Tennessee to South Haven, Mississippi.
1: So when we went ahead to try to promote this thing as uh, Rampage Jackson's return to Memphis – uh surprisingly enough we were fudging the truth a little bit there return to be over to
2: memphis, an ad- and then a short 20 minute drive to south Haven, mississippi
1: so like sort of like return to memphis in parentheses mississippi
2: <laughs> yeah return to the region return to the memphis area
1: all right, well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about this Tito Ortiz, Alexander Shlomenko affair. Uh, Alexander Shlomenko, a dude who... Well, in
2: fairness, I uh, hate to interrupt you, but the Memphis International Airport is actually a lot closer to South Haven, Mississippi than it is to the city center of Memphis. Oh, okay.
1: So, like, probably some hotels out there.
2: Right? Yeah. For To have one of them be
1: the host hotel for all of the gala events leading up to Bellator 120.
2: Just saying, looking at Google Maps, Graceland is right up the street. Well,
1: that's that's something. Uh, Schlemanko <laughs> is a dude who hasn't, you know, he doesn't get that much publicity as a as a top middleweight uh, because he fights over in Bellator. But you're talking about a dude who is 50 and seven uh, in his MMA career and has not lost since a meeting with Hector Lombard at Bellator 34 back in in 2010. Uh, meanwhile, Tito Ortiz comes down from from a heavier weight class, but is also a guy who is just one. Seven and one, dating back to uh, his loss to Chuck Liddell at UFC 66 on December 30th, 2006. So uh, I guess who's really getting the fast one played on them here? Uh, (laughs) Shlomenko for having to go up in weight to fight Tito Ortiz at light heavyweight or Tito Ortiz for thinking maybe
2: he's going to win. Well, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but according to Ben Askren, the whole thing's a work anyway. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: What does is, what is Ben Askern have to say?
2: Uh, he says that uh, Tito Ortiz and Shlomenko are boys. Uh, or actually, he says that, that Tito has ties, quote unquote, to Shlomenko, and that uh, he will be, quote, taking the L for a good cause. Wait, uh, who's
1: taking the L? Shlomenko or Ortiz? Come on, man. Tito ain't going out there and laying down, right? <laughs> he doesn't
2: he... need to. He doesn't need to go out there and purposely lay down. You know what's going to happen there, man. Come on. So wait a second. Are you implying that this
1: is one I of those? I am not you, implying. Uh, is Ben Askren implying that this is one of those fixes that we read about in the Deadspin article from uh, boxing a week or so ago, it's, where it, you just get one guy that you know you can't can't possibly beat your guy and throw him out there? It kind of seems
2: like that's what Ben Askren is suggesting.
1: Well, far be it from Ben Askren to suggest anything uh, untoward yes. about about anything.
2: Well, okay, but let's talk about value for your pay per view dollar here. Right, so You look up at the top, you got Eddie Alvarez versus Michael Chandler again. Which and again,
1: I'm advocating we all buy the pay-per-view and hope that those guys get a cut of it
2: because they deserve it. <laughs> but still, again, that just feels like we'd be better off with a Kickstarter for those guys because that's what we're really doing, right? Is trying to throw them some of our money. So what, we got to throw Bellator and Spike a whole bunch of our money to give those guys a little chunk of it? That's yeah. what that's what you're advocating? Yeah, I suppose. I, I mean, mean, I think it's worth paying for just because I think that that fight is going to be a good fight. I mean, right. you do and, two awesome fights. I have reason to believe you're going to do three. Uh, Rampage Jackson and Mola Wall, I, I'll admit it. I do want to see that one. I, I want yeah, to see how it turns out. That's not a detriment.
1: I'll say that for it. It's not necessarily a fight that I'm particularly uh, jacked about, but I will watch it uh, if it's gonna. If you're going to go ahead and put that on your pay-per-view card anyway. uh, uh it's a fight that I feel like much to the chagrin of all involved. Uh, Rampage Jackson has a good chance to win, uh, and uh, uh, so the, you know that alone I think makes it sort of interesting. It's it's a fight where uh, we'll get to see uh, if King Mo really has his MMA legs under him, if he's really on on solid footing in terms of uh, his well-rounded skill set. Uh, because, you know, say what you will about Rampage Jackson, he's gonna, he's gonna be a guy who's, uh, probably gonna test you on the feet if, uh, if he gets a chance to stay up on him for too very long. He
2: does like to throw them bungalows. We know that about him. But, you know, after that, then you got the Tito Ortiz-Slamenko thing, which is maybe a work or maybe won't even happen because Tito Ortiz will, uh, you know, come down with chicken pox or something uh, in the locker room before the fight. After that, kind of uh, Katie bar the door. There's not a whole lot going on Bellator pay-per-view. Still think it's worth the money? I mean, say hey, you're not even thinking about your attempt to try and uh, slip Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez a little love in their pocket. Just as a consumer thinking about, you know, looking at your cable budget and uh, doing your monthly UFC math on, on your Fight Pass subscription and, and all that other stuff, you, you feel like this is worth buying.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, I feel like it's worth watching. I mean, the fact that there's four dudes that I've never heard of before, uh, jerking the curtain on the pay-per-view portion of the card is a little bit troubling, but at the same time, can't really be held against Bellator, since that doesn't necessarily differentiate this card from your average UFC card, where we had, uh, you know, some guys over on the Tough Nations, uh, fighting for the Glass Trophy last Wednesday, albeit for free on, a, on a cable television show. But again, just a bunch of dudes I'd never heard of before. End of the day, both them Canadian dudes look pretty good. But at the same time, I'm not sure that that makes them any more or less worthy than Will Brooks versus Nate Jolly, for instance.
2: Yeah, you know, that's something I was actually thinking about recently when, you know, when Bellator is trying to kind of move up in the world and, and challenge for the UFC spot. It seemed kind of hopeless that like, hey, Luke, the UFC has such a, a deeper roster than you do. So so many more known fighters that it seems kind of hopeless that you'll ever be able to put on the kind of cards that can rival those. And it's, and maybe, you know, that's changed a little bit for Bellator. It's gotten some guys, you know, built some homegrown stars and, and signed others from outside the organization and changed that a little bit. But more than anything, it seems like the UFC did them a favor by kind of bringing the average card level down just because they do so many of them these days that they have to spread the talent a little thinner. Uh, and instead of asking, you know, we're forcing Bellator to try and raise its level to, to meet the UFC's kind of brought down a met somewhere in the middle. I mean, the UFC still, you know, a UFC pay-per-view still has more firepower than uh, pretty much anything Bellator could put together from top to bottom. Uh, but that gap is narrowing a little bit. Right, yeah. I think
1: we talked about that on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. It's uh, certainly the UFC still has the overwhelming depth and, and the brand uh, notoriety and brand loyalty to kind of continue to be the dominant force in the industry moving forward. But, you know, the, the fact that, like You said they do do all those shows means that uh, if you throw a dart at at the UFC and throw a dart at the Bellator uh, programming schedules, you're probably going to get two average cards that look somewhat similar. Uh, you know, and that, that the 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 st- great strength that the UFC has, I guess, is that when they have a card like that where there, you know, maybe aren't a lot of star attractions on it, uh, they can still put Roy Nelson against rog- or Rodrigo Nogueira at the top of the card. And that kind of tugs at the heartstrings of the of the, uh, you know, the MMA fan to think, well, the rest of the card doesn't have a isn't doing a lot for me. But God, I, I do want to see that.
2: Yeah, but I feel like that's kind of what we're doing here with uh, Bellator. I mean, it's Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler is that's what's getting me in the tent. You know, uh, Rampage Jackson and Mola Wall is what's getting me to feel like I'm not just paying to see one fight the way you do with the old boxing pay per views. Uh, if anything, Tito Ortiz versus Alexander Slomenko is just getting me to, out of curiosity, be like, so how weird slash possibly bullshit is this going to be? Right. Well, that's and that's one of the
1: reasons I wanted to talk about Alexander Slomenko at the top of this card, uh, since he's a guy who gets... Before I
2: derailed you with map talk.
1: Yeah. Before you started in on your Google Maps talk. Uh, you know, Shlomenko's, Just saying,
2: I think Slomenko would really enjoy Graceland. <laughs>
1: He's a well, yeah. I don't have a hard time believing that either. But he's a, you know, he's a guy that we don't talk about very much. Uh, and I wanted to ask you: Do you think that he is closer to being an Eddie Alvarez, Michael Chandler guy, who are both competitors that we kind of fall all over ourselves all the time talking about how we wish they were in the UFC, competing in the in the Shark Tank of the lightweight division? Is he closer to them, or is he closer to a Lyman Good type individual uh, who's not going to make it in the Tough House and then get crapped on uh, by Dan? just
2: be used as a pawn yeah sad sad just
1: used as a pawn in a fight between two huge corporations
2: well i think the thing that makes uh a little different is he doesn't like he doesn't have the eddie alvarez or you know if eddie alvarez and and michael chandler you know they kind of have each other to, to elevate the the discourse there if you will make it so that it seems like uh that's what really puts them on the map is this great fight. He doesn't necessarily really have that with with anybody in Bellator, and that's what he's really lacking is you need somebody who uh, is going to get people to pay attention because if you just go out there and, and beat up guys like uh, Doug Marshall, eh, you know, that doesn't really move the needle that much. You need somebody else who seems like he's at that level uh, who can really help us find out how good you are because otherwise, man, people are just going to look down at, at that record Uh, and you know the UFC is just going to look at, oh, hey, dude, I beat by Hector Lombard, so what? You know, that kind of thing. Like, you you got to have something else to really help make that case. Uh, And that's, I think, the problem for the entire Bellator roster, really. And it's even, like, I mean, lightweight is the best division they have, just like it's the best division in all of MMA. And even then, Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez can only fight each other so many times, dude. I mean, eventually, they have to go their separate ways, Right. You're telling me that uh, uh guillotine choke
1: of Brennan Ward didn't didn't do anything for you? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> See, I know you didn't watch this uh, <laughs> because I did, and therefore was treated to uh, Brennan Ward's pre-fight interview on the Spike TV uh, broadcast, where, and I'm pretty sure I'm not making this up. Previous, just before <laughs> he went out and fought Alexander Shlomenko, they aired a a a interview vignette where brennan ward claimed i do everything hard i skate hard i surf hard Hmm. i train hard i fight hard and i fuck hard what (laughs) yes that's uh i mean they bleeped it out so he could have said anything he could have (laughs) said i shit hard but i don't think that's what he was getting at i'm just saying brennan ward there's a time for that and then there's a time for a little tenderness man my god so you asked me this earlier, I guess I will flip the script on you and throw it back to you, uh, yay or nay on buying the Bellator pay-per-view.
2: I say yay, uh, mainly because of uh, Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez. I wish it was one of those kind of things where, like, when you're when you're giving your money to pay for the pay-per-view, uh, you could add, like, a little, like, those kind of things where there's, like, a space, like, how did you hear about our business, or what brought you in today, like, where you could be like, Chandler Alvarez, uh, just to let them know, they, that's what I'm here for. Make sure those guys are rewarded properly. The other stuff, it's cool in a kind of declining fashion, but that's what's really bringing people in the door there. Um, because, I mean, especially with the last one where they still had that fight and when they lost T2RT's Rampage decided it was no longer worthy of a pay-per-view. Kind of weird that now that that's the one fight that, that you had before and now it's the one that's your main event that's really the anchor for this one and that's the one that's going to get you know people like us to actually buy it.
1: Right. And if I'm not mistaken, this is uh, another situation where uh, aren't we kind of thinking that that Eddie Alvarez is heading for the door after this? Or uh, did they succeed in locking him down for uh, for eternity,
2: for perpetuity? I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah.
1: Um, All right. Well, that's probably going to do it for round number three. It's easy to lose count. When you're doing five.
2: Yeah, who even knows anymore? Yeah. I just keep talking until you tell me to stop and get out of your house.
1: (laughs) Which is going to happen any minute now. Uh, Sir Nigel Longstock is here. Oh, boy. We are going to entertain the masses with another episode of Master Tweet Theater, and that starts right now.
2: It's that time again. We welcome back to the show, friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you on this momentous occasion?
0: Good day to you, sir. I am seasonally allergic.
2: You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Here we are at episode 100. No way I expected you to still be alive or not be incarcerated uh, this far into the podcast.
0: Yes, a somewhat disorienting surprise for us all. And (laughs) let me be the first to wish you a happy bicentennial.
2: Yeah, okay. Well, you know what? What we're going to do here instead is we're just going to plow right ahead. Uh, sir Nigel, do you have a theme for this week's Master Tweet Theater? Please say you do.
0: I do, sir. The theme is teleology.
2: Teleology.
0: Teleology, the explanation of a phenomenon by its intended purpose and not the causal forces that brought it about. Why do you do this to yourself? I'm doing it to everyone,
2: sir. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, hit us with the first one whenever you're ready.
0: Tweet the first. Gin and tonic is the quickest way into my favor if you are at Chaos at the Casino.
2: Chad?
1: Uh... So, someone inviting their Twitter followers to buy them a drink?
2: Is that what we have here? A pretty specific drink. Chaos at the Casino kind of sounds like a, uh, some kind of local MMA event.
1: Uh, I'd say it does more than kind of sounds like that. <laughs> I, I assume that's what it is. Let's see here. Chaos at the Casino. I'm going to guess Nevada area, maybe. Uh, hanging out at an independent MMA show in Nevada hoping to drink gin and tonics.
2: Ah, uh, Tyson Griffin. Wow. I didn't, that's not where I thought you were going. I guess I'm going to take the risk here and say that that might be the poet Philip Barone. Hmm, huh, interesting.
0: Both fine guesses, both flattering given the sophistication of the drink, and both wrong. It is Shayna Baszler. Yeah. Okay. Trolling Twitter for free cocktails.
2: Well, she did just have to pull out of a fight injured, so uh, you know what I do when I get injured, Chad.
0: Oh yeah, you drink.
2: Yeah, that's also what I do when I'm 100% healthy.
0: He actually refers to it as drinking.
2: <laughs> that's true. I do say that a lot.
0: <clears throat> Tweet the second. This goddamn Twitter valuation thing has accessed my account and tweeting by itself. Ignore the value tweets, please, people.
2: Okay, so I'm familiar with this thing. You know the thing that people do, where like you sign up to see like what your Twitter account is supposedly worth.
0: No. Zero. (laughs) Sarah Nigel's Twitter valuation service. (laughs)
2: Uh, Okay, so somebody who signed up for that uh, because they really wanted to know what their Twitter was worth and then was disheartened to see that it had access to their Twitter. (sighs) Boy, I'm going to say that is Matt Mitrione
1: interesting i don't think this is right but the only guy that right off the top of my head i can think of who might want to know how much his twitter account is worth so he could potentially sell it would be bruce buffer
2: okay that's he's always got scams going yeah he's, he's always got something up his uh, very finely tailored sleeve
0: both fine guesses both men likely to be taken in by a bot and both wrong it is michael bisping
2: Alright, do the voice. You just want to do the voice. This
0: goddamn Twitter evaluation thing is access my account, tweet myself. <laughs> oh.
2: Okay, fine. Fine. Are you happy now? You God got damn, to do that?
0: Goddamn Twitter evaluation. <laughs> I'm just trying to raise a family and watch HBO.
2: <laughs> okay, move on.
0: Mm, tweet the third. <clears throat> it's a Pink Floyd kind of evening. Whoa. That's it? That is it. The tweet in its entirety.
2: Joe Benavides.
1: Um, somebody who likes the oldies. I'm going to go ahead and go uh, recent Master Tweet Theater invader and frequent contributor Rich Franklin. Rich Ace Franklin. Okay, I could see maybe, him. Maybe he's got to clean up the... The Jumba Juice, and so he puts that on the on the stereo after he yeah. closes down.
2: After everybody's gone for the day, you put on the wall and uh, just get the mop out, and time just flies by. I could see it.
0: Both fine guesses. Both men welcome to the machine, and both wrong. It is Dan Hardy. Yeah. Uh, that,
2: that doesn't surprise me. No, it doesn't.
0: Really? You know, I thought he was more punk rock than that.
2: Well, th- he got to throw you a curveball every once in a while. He is British, I suppose.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, tweet the fourth. All I know is that we shouldn't believe anything. Suspect shit is happening, only gonna get worse. Churches, media, science, all lies.
2: <laughs> wow, that's amazing. An incredible statement of nihilism. Um, that feels like War Machine to me. Or it's somebody uh, who is being really sarcastic and funny. But I'm gonna say War Machine.
1: Yeah, that is a that is a good guess. You know, a lot of offbeat choices so far, though, on this episode of Master Tweet Theater.
2: Do, do what you feel, Chad Dennis.
1: Baszler, Bisping, and Hardy.
2: Hmm. Uh,
1: boy, the science part, though, that does sound like War Machine.
2: <laughs> no, he's pretty sure science is bullshit.
1: I'm going to say War Machine.
0: Good, you are not misled by test-taking strategy. It is War Machine, just decrying every source of
2: knowledge. What about tweets, though? Tweets are, I mean, absolutely true. Okay. Because otherwise, then it kind of took his argument out at the knees there at the beginning. Just snakes, porn
0: stars, and getting revenge on gym owners. That's what you can trust. (laughs) Tweet the fifth. More money. I'm sorry? More money. That's all it says. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, I
1: think
0: I got a line on this. Okay. I'm going to guess
1: current uh, income kvetcher Nate Diaz here. Because you got to admit, that sounds like a Nate Diaz tweet. It does. It, except that there was really
2: a dot, dot, dot afterwards. There were
0: periods oh. of ellipses at the end. But no. only three? Only three. Damn.
1: Well,
0: that's...
2: Yeah, that seems like too like right on punctuation. Like mm-hmm. let you, you know... Um, but that is a good guess. I don't know. You piggybacked on my war machine, so I guess I'm going to go with Nate Diaz as well here.
0: In fact, Chad's original genius insight was correct. It is Nate Diaz. He wants more money. Wow. We almost outthought ourselves there, too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, a, a mistake we've been making all our lives, I feel. Who could have predicted it? <laughs> well, I guess... Is that
1: guess... it? Really, really, I thought maybe we might do a supersized edition of of Mastery
0: Theater no no only five but each one has the quality of two tweets yeah possibly three
2: Sir Nigel's getting paid by the tweet over here man we our budget can't stand much more than that uh I guess that's it for us. Uh, Sir Nigel, what do you got going on this week?
0: You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I recently finished filming a film about a billionaire playboy who discovers his own sense of responsibility to others through a 10-year confinement in an 18th century French prison. I see. And what's it called? Iron Man in the Iron Mask.
2: Yeah, okay. And what role do you play?
0: France, sir.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that... Was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstaff. Thank you. Well, Chad. Also at UFC 172 this weekend, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into the main event, but in what I suppose is the de facto co-main event, Phil Davis welcomes Anthony Johnson back to the UFC as a light heavyweight. Uh, And it seems like uh, master psychologist Dana White has made Phil Davis play right into his hands by insisting that Davis just doesn't seem like a guy who really wants that title shot. Uh, and then, wouldn't you know it, Phil Davis jumps on the UFC 172 conference call today uh, with, sounding like he has a bunch of prepared material to get all up in Jon Jones's face. Are you hyped? Well, wait, you said de facto co-main event, like you don't see this as a
1: legitimate co-main event. It's like, First of is all, it, or, do you feel like Tim Boach has been slighted? Because
2: I do, <laughs> like, I don't... I know that's your guy, Tim Boach. First of all, co-main event, not a real thing. He. Uh, <laughs> how can one fight be the main event and it doesn't have to share anything but then the co-main event gets this like distinction if there's a co-main event then they're both co-main events if there's a main event then there's only one
1: which is to say nothing of preliminary main event joseph benavidez Don't versus Jim Elliott. even start that shit and the
2: fight pass main
1: event I of go uh danny castillo against charlie brenneman uh pretty much pretty much at some point, you're going to get into a situation where everyone except Joe Ellenberger and Wagner Rocha you, uh, is your main event.
2: Well, unless, hey, what if some people get sick or injured uh, before the fight? Then it bumps them right up there,
1: yeah. or they
2: could get demoted to Fight Pass and be the main event of that.
1: True, a lot of crazy stuff. Anything could still happen. We still got a week to go before we get to
2: before we get to Baltimore. Also, if we're looking at the Fight Pass portion of the card, there is only a Fight Pass main event and co-main event because there's only two fights on it. Yeah, lucky that those fights aren't
1: real, uh, <laughs> and that uh, you know nothing happens till we get to the television, televised portion. Uh, you mentioned uh, Dana White possibly playing some games with with Phil Davis uh, this past week. It's another situation where you, it's it oftentimes gets difficult to tell uh, if Dana White is really actually giving you an off the cuff. Here's what I actually think. Uh, uh, frank opinion, or if, as you implied, he's trying to light a fire under somebody's ass, uh, which you know, if that was his goal here, it certainly seems like it worked with Phil Davis because you know, Phil Davis's immediate reaction was, ha ha, well, we'll see about that. Like, he was really going to put it in Dana White's face by becoming UFC light heavyweight champion when seems kind of like, motivating you was sort of the objective. So, like, maybe you're just playing right into his hands.
2: Well, you know, for me, the idea that, like, Phil Davis has Dana White say these things about him and he thinks that the solution is, oh, I know, I need to just be more vocal and uh, to be the guy who really stands out on the conference call kind of thing, like okay, you know, the UFC goes in for that. Uh, what you need to do is go out there and uh, put these ass weapons down to their maximum effect, which is something that, you know, when Phil Davis first kind of came in the UFC, had a lot of excitement behind him because he was obviously, you know, a, a great wrestler and seemed to be really developing quickly. And then you look at his last few fights, and he's, even in fights where he's, cle- like the Vinny Magelhays fight, where it seems like he's clearly winning, uh, you don't see that, uh that real just like desire to go out there and smash people. Now he's talking about it. Like that's what it, that his, what his goal is. Uh, but it's against a guy like Anthony Johnson. It seems like that's one of the ways you could get yourself in trouble against Anthony Johnson is by thinking you're going to go out there and, uh, you know, really make a statement by putting a, a serious beating on him and end up getting yourself knocked out.
1: Yeah. Uh, we should say as an aside, Phil Davis, by the way, still the best Wikipedia uh, mugshot <laughs> picture, yes. uh, you know identification picture uh maybe on the entire wikipedia website phil davis just casually strolling down the street with his shirt i believe he's, maybe tucked into the back of his pants it looks
2: like it's tucked in the back of his black jeans
1: yeah and he's, uh, he's got, he got sunglasses, sunglasses on. on yeah uh at, walking around looking like uh he's not even aware of the fact that he looks like a superhero like that he looks like a cartoon drawing of a human
2: <laughs> he's like oh
1: oh what my enormous
2: my enormous body has okay. no idea that somebody's standing there taking a picture of him before the world wide web
1: Phil Davis though uh uh you know likable guy I yeah in in most of his uh and most of his uh, media appearances. And I think that's why this, this latest one where uh, it sounded like he told some people beforehand that he was going to start being more vocal to try to get himself on the map a little bit. Uh, and then comes out of this press conference and, and, and uh, you know, it sounded like anyway, tried to talk himself into a, into being yet another guy with a, uh, with a feud with John Jones uh, <clears throat> and came away with some mixed reviews. Like sounded like maybe uh, came off as a little bit, uh, uh, pre-scripted
2: like he bought uh chael sonan's b material that someone decided he couldn't use and was just gonna gonna offer up at Which, a discount hey
1: man if you're chael sonan and you're getting down towards the end of things you know maybe uh fighting words ghostwriter wouldn't be a bad way to go
2: that's true well you know i think that this is a a tough time especially to try and talk your way into the uh the john jones sphere because uh Once, I mean, assuming he gets through Glover Teixeira, uh, and I think we're all kind of assuming that he will. Oh, hey, man, we can leave some mystery out there for round number five. Okay, Assuming he gets through that, there's a lot of of interesting stuff out there for him without even getting down to talking about Phil Davis. I mean, you got a rematch with Alexander Gustafson. Uh, You probably got Daniel Cormier coming up after that. I mean, there's going to be some some time in there. Phil Davis needs to make his case in the cage. I mean, if you go out there and you beat the hell out of Anthony Johnson, then you get on the mic and start to say some stuff, things can kind of snowball from there. But if you're just going to come out there with some you know canned jokes, that ain't going to do it, man. That's probably not exactly what Dana White was hoping to get out of you.
1: Well, yeah, no, I think what he's hoping to get out of you is uh, a couple of impressive stoppage victories right in a row that will uh – Leave you out there as the guy who is going to be next up just in case uh, John Jones successfully runs this gauntlet that we've got set up for him with Glover Tashira, Alexander Gustafson, and then Daniel Cormier. Uh, You know, he gets done with that. There's not going to be a lot there's not going to be a lot of challenges left for him at the in the light heavyweight division except for maybe a guy like Phil Davis uh, and then on the offhand chance that John Jones decides to bolt and go up to the uh, heavyweight division single handedly bringing the average age of the heavyweight top 10 down by like five years uh, <laughs> you, you know you will need a, a crop of guys who are going to be able to stand up to compete over the vacant title and then then carry the torch into the future and you would think that at 29 years old Phil Davis shapes up as a guy with all the potential in the world so um, you know maybe there's an aspect of that uh, also in in the fact that uh that dana white certainly appeared to try to play head shrinker with phil davis and uh and also apparently pulled it off let's talk about uh, anthony johnson though um obviously a guy who uh had some trouble with his weight back in the uh In the old school uh, UFC days.
2: Kind of seems ridiculous Uh, that he used to be a welterweight now, doesn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely ridiculous. I I think I watched a video with him once where he said he weighs like 240 or something like that when he's not fighting.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's he's known to blow up between fights. But even, I mean, considering that he now competes at a weight 35 pounds higher than the one he used to compete at.
1: In 2012, he comes in uh, for a potential middleweight fight with Vitor Belfort at UFC 142. Uh, Ends up just obliterating the weight limit for that they end up doing a 197 pound catch weight fight uh belfort wins first, cruiserweight first basically round, yeah they went uh, they went uh, went ahead and had a, a title eliminator for quentin quentin rampage jackson's <laughs> bellator cruiserweight title uh obviously bellator or uh, v- belfort wins by first round uh choke out and then uh anthony johnson gets cut he goes out on the independent circuit. Uh, and you know ends up kind of putting things back together for himself where he goes uh you know five Although or missed th- weight in his first five or outside six, you know, of the UFC, yeah, too makes missed weight for Titan fighting championships in his first in his first fight out and then i guess uh eventually made the decision you know what uh light heavyweight is going to be the place for me and and ever since finally then finally came
2: to terms with the fact that he is big boned
1: <laughs> yes uh he's had a lot of success uh uh 5 and 0 oh with with all stoppages except for the the decision uh against Andre Arlovsky in a heavyweight fight that he had at, at World Series of Fighting so uh one of the few guys I guess at this point you could say who's able to uh be cut from the UFC and then go out on the independent circuit kind of rehabilitate himself uh come back in and and get into a situation where he might be a player again in the UFC uh are you buying it are you buying Anthony Johnson as a legitimate light heavyweight contender
2: uh you know I might be tentatively buying it. I think that this fight is the one that's going to show us and this we should say it's a uh, not an easy welcome back. No, it's to to, a tough draw. Come back and fight Phil Davis. Uh but I do think he has the thing going for him where like a lot of guys if they are in the UFC and then get bounced out, uh you know, he didn't get bounced out because he, you know, lost three or four in a row. He lost after, you know, kind of a last straw of missing weight and the UFC is just kind of fed up with it. And now he can make the case. Well, look, I was making a mistake in trying to fight too low and I was, you know, leaving my best stuff in the sauna basically. And it was costing me in some of these fights. Um, but now I've, I fixed that problem. I'm a light heavyweight and I'm much better now. And I mean, that will at least buy you enough reasonable doubt where we're like, okay. You went out there, you, you beat up all these guys on, on the smaller circuit, you, you beat a guy like Andre Alaski at heavyweight, that earns you this. Let Now let's see. Let, let, let's see what you got there. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in him. He's a guy who, uh, you know, he can wrestle a little bit, and he's got some power on the feet. That's an interesting guy to have around, and I, I credit the UFC for not trying to... Ease him back into the fold here, and trying to trying to build him up instead, throwing him right in there in the fire against a guy like Phil Davis. Let's find out what he's got, man. I mean, I think that's an interesting fight.
1: Yeah, and certainly if you come out and beat Phil Davis, uh, you establish yourself as an immediate contender, uh, especially if you are able to do something impressive the way that Anthony Johnson has done in uh you know, most of his fights away from the, from the organization. Uh, and a guy uh, honestly, who uh, is still not really that old. He's 30 years old and, and could be a situation where once he finally admitted that uh, he needed to move up into a more natural weight class for him, that uh, maybe he's, he's been able to, uh, to put it all together. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if, 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 uh, if you if you put my back against the wall, I'd probably say that I expect Phil Davis to come out and win this fight. But, uh, you know, I don't think you can count out Anthony Johnson, especially with, uh, a, you know, as a guy who's been able to to do some impressive things in his last few performances.
2: No, I mean, I do think, though, uh, here's one of the situations where Anthony Johnson maybe was getting by on uh, wrestling some of the welterweights when he got kind of pegged as this guy who would go out there and throw them bungalows, right? Like, and he was kind of a knockout artist guy and he got matched up against guys like Dan Hardy and stuff who could kind of, uh, it seemed like the UFC was expecting a certain kind of fight, and also he was just a huge welterweight. So he could go out there, get a takedown, and they couldn't get him up off of him. And you're not going to be able to do that against Phil Davis. So uh, you got to expect that he's going to have to find a way to, to stay on his feet, something that he couldn't really do against a guy like Josh Koscheck or something earlier in his career, uh, and keep that fight where he wants it there. Because I don't think you want to go into a grappling match with Phil Davis here if you're Anthony Johnson.
1: No, and I mean, in that way, maybe it's kind of an interesting matchup of styles, actually. Uh, you know, uh, are we gonna? see this devolve into a, a boring uh, wrestling match or are we going to get the Phil Davis who gets on top of Anthony Johnson and ends up pulling off a weird modified Kimura like he did years ago sadly against the Barbarian uh, <laughs> get your guy. against Tim Boach or is this going to be a situation where maybe Anthony Johnson is much better at keeping it on the feet than we thought he was going to be at which point you know Phil Davis could potentially be in trouble because that's that's not his strong suit throwing, throwing punches up on the feet that's not where he wants to be I gotta
2: think if you're Anthony Johnson and you hear this stuff about Dana White talking that Phil Davis needs to uh, speak up and make his case and Phil Davis is talking about okay I'm gonna go out there and uh, you know take these people apart like a snickerdoodle or whatever it is he's saying uh, and in order to prove that I I deserve a title shot I got to think if you're Anthony Johnson, you think that that's really good news for you because it means that Phil Davis is therefore going to has a little motivation and might be a little less likely to just go out there and take you down for three rounds and try and edge out each round, uh, with a late takedown like he did to Leota Machida, uh, that's the best news you can hope for there. You need that guy to have some motivation to either, if he does get you down, to be looking for a finish, which will then create opportunities for you to, to get back up and escape a counter, um, or for him to maybe get talked into thinking he needs to do something impressive on the feet, and in which case, man, Dana White just did you a huge favor.
1: Yeah, maybe they're in Or maybe you go ahead
2: and get your ass kicked out. I don't know. (laughs) I
1: I don't know. Uh, I just looked at the odds out of curiosity because I had not seen them previous to this. It looks like uh, Anthony Johnson is around plus 160, plus 165. The longest odds on him, uh, plus 195, whereas Phil Davis is a little bit closer to minus 200 all the way across the board. So uh, odds makers don't see it potentially as a blowout, but still leaning toward Phil Davis, which I suppose is understandable.
2: Yeah. You know, also, uh, I find it interesting to look at the uh, the prop bets on this one. Uh, for instance, uh Fight goes to a decision, plus 100. Fight doesn't go to a decision, uh, minus 130. The most interesting one, though... um, So you get underdog money on decision? I might take that if Phil Davis goes out there... You do get slight underdog money on decision. Who goes um, goes out there and and
1: does what he does. uh,
2: But uh, Johnson wins by KO or TKO, uh, plus 350. Um, Davis wins by TKO or KO, plus 808. Wow. In other words... They're saying that uh, that you can't SWAT Phil Davis. What are you gonna do? You gonna let him talk about you like that on the, the sports books? Wow, did oh, Dale might no. know
1: that because that seems like he could have definitely used that as uh, <laughs> some of his material to get to get Phil Davis fired up. I uh, guess we'll have to see how it plays out. You got some money, you might spread it around on some of those prop bets, man. It's, uh, you know, now that we know how good you are at picking fights, we that might be a second career for you.
2: Yeah, no, and then I won't have to do this bullshit anymore which would be like, a, like
1: Christmas in, in April for me. Uh, all right, well, that's going to do it for round number four. We got one round left. I don't know if we even have the stuff to get through this or if we're going to end up tapping out. Uh, round five is next. That starts right now. Ben, as we begin to discuss the main event fight of Jonathan Dwight Jones against
2: Glover Lucas Tashira, it's kind of a letdown. I thought Glover would have a better middle name than Lucas.
1: I know. Well, it makes him sound a lot less scary, that's for sure. If you're going out there to fight Lucas Tashira, <laughs> or or G Lucas Tashira.
2: Well, actually, that sounds like a. Uh... Professor of International Studies, right?
1: (laughs) There are a lot of uh, ins and outs, a lot of ways we could approach this fight. Uh, Let's talk briefly about HackerGate before we get into this one. Oh, good. Uh, As everyone knows by now, uh, some homophobic Instagram comments issued from John Jones's personal Instagram account uh, popped up on the internets this past week. Uh immediately followed by uh, uh an explanation from John Jones' camp, later backed up by the UFC, that uh he had been hacked. But uh as of this recording, I'm not sure if anybody asked about it at the media event today. Uh the the story appeared a little unclear to me. I don't know if we were trying to allege that someone hacked John Jones's Instagram account, or if we were trying to allege that somebody stole his phone or that he lost his phone, all or of that those. a bunch of
2: dudes that in of his
1: inner circle have his passwords, which uh,
2: also maybe the Illuminati was involved.
1: Just made for a very uh confusing experience for those of us trying to track down the truth. I know that you wrote about this on uh, the MMA Junkie this past week. What, uh, Where are you at on this,
2: man? Okay. Okay, first of all, if you want me to believe, the first the original story was that he lost the phone, right? And John Jones seems to be going with the like he doesn't have the phone anymore. So he says he right, got a, yeah. got a new phone. Right? Yeah. The very first thing that
1: happened was he's that he on, tweeted he, that he got a new phone,
2: and he's on Twitter like publicly asking people who have his number to text him their name so he can update his contacts. Which, man, if you got a smartphone, that shit, your, you, your contacts are like on the uh, on the internet somewhere, right? Like they keep those in a big contact bank. You ain't gotta have everybody give them back to you. You can just have those shit loaded for you when you get a new phone. Uh, so at the very least, he's guilty of not using all the features of his smartphone. Uh, but yeah, I would describe that as the least, the <laughs> least that he can be charged
1: with at this point.
2: But OK, if your story is that you lost the phone, right, and somebody found it and realized like, oh, hey, I got John Jones's phone or they stole it or whatever. Right. They have possession of the phone, a phone that we have to assume has Dana White's phone
1: number in it, Greg Jackson's phone number in it. Uh, Holly Holmes phone
2: number, maybe George St. Pierre. Uh,
1: Yeah. GSP probably in there. Uh, you know, uh, Rashad Evans, maybe still hanging around from the glory days. (laughs) (laughs) Clay Guida, you wanna, hey man, you wanna order
2: a dozen pizzas for Clay Guida's house?
1: Man, you just, you just got that dropped right in your lap.
2: Oh, except, except how you gonna find Clay Guida? Cause he's probably in an RV roaming the country where you're gonna have the pizza sent to. Clay Guida's always two tough ahead, Chad. True.
1: That is a, that is a true statement. I guess maybe you go a dozen pizzas to Mike Winklejohn's house. But
2: the point is, you've got access to his phone, right? And like, presumably all the social media apps that he has loaded on his phone. If your goal is like, hey, I've got John Jones' phone, I'm going to pose as him to make him look poorly, to make him look like a homophobe, Uh, there are so many things you could do. And the thing that you choose to do is... Pick out a kid who had said something mean to him on Twitter. Go find that kid's uh, Instagram account and write stuff like fag shit and you two are fags uh, in comments on his pictures. And that's all you do? Like, you don't do anything else near as I can tell? Like, that's your big hacker plan? Like, you know, either it's a completely obviously bullshit story uh, or we're dealing with the, the worst hacker in history.
1: Yeah, it's hard for me to believe, like you said, that somebody would uh, gain access to John Jones's phone and then use that uh, that privilege to to defend him against the haters, which is sort (laughs) of like what happened, but like to defend him against the haters in a way that would also make John Jones look bad. And hey, man, let's be honest. If this is a hacker who has incredibly low standards for the mayhem they want to cause by accessing another, you know, a relatively well-known person's uh, personal social media accounts, the other thing they did uh, was do a pretty good John Jones impression by uh, (laughs) writing homosexuality is a sin on the comments of this teenage Swedish kid who had said something mean to John Jones on Twitter. So, uh, you know, I'm going to need to hear a much better explanation uh, um, and and see frankly a much better forensic timeline about what happened (laughs) in the alleged John Jones hacking before I'm willing to put a lot of credence behind that story. Uh, I mean, I hope it's true that John Jones got hacked because if he didn't, that's a serious bummer for me because uh both of the guys on this podcast have largely supported John Jones over the years. Uh I've always been a big fan uh you know of his abilities in the cage and uh um have always thought it was weird the way he was uh treated with this scorn and ridicule by a lot of people in the in the MMA sphere. Um Back when I was forced to have a, a pound for pound list when I used to work for ESPN, had John Jones number one on my pound for pound list, uh, you know, long before, uh, the, 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 uh, industry like came around to the idea that he was probably the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. And this particular incident, if he's responsible for it, like, Makes me feel super tired of defending him and like makes it really hard for me to like totally get on board with the John Jones train anymore.
2: Okay. Let's talk about that for a second because I think that that's something that, uh, I, I was thinking about this earlier because like you, I, I think that John Jones sometimes gets a bad rap. And when something like when this happened, I was like, well, it's going to be hard to make that case, uh, because it seems like he's trying to give himself a bad rap now. Although when I get down to it, the thing that I think, uh, people don't give john jones credit for is that he is an awesome fighter it's not that i think that john jones holds a lot of like personal beliefs that i agree with i mean and i don't know if that necessarily even matters i mean like obviously i would prefer that the 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 Pro athletes uh, who I like or watch uh, are not homophobes because I don't think that is a good way to go through your life. I especially don't think it's a good way to go through your life getting on some kid's Instagram page and, and trying to, to call him a fag. Like I, but, Teenager from Sweden <laughs> calling him a fag. <laughs> but it's like, okay, I knew John Jones was really super Christian. That's something that I – like a, a belief that I do not share um, and – I know that uh, part of what the, the the Christian theology is is that they're not into the whole homosexuality thing. So should it even really surprise me if it turns out that John Jones, a noted Christian, is also not into the homosexuality thing? I mean, I think sometimes we do this thing where we want these people who are really good at something to to be kind of a, a model for other people to be, uh, you know to have the same views that we want to, to support in our own lives. But, and they're really under no obligation to do that. Let's be honest. The reason we like John Jones, the reason we watched John Jones is because he was an awesome fighter. If he was just an awesome dude who was really reasonable and who would never do something like that, but he couldn't fight worth a damn, we wouldn't care about him. He'd just be another dude who you liked. You know, so like it's the same thing like when people went out uh, and and bashed Tiger Woods uh, when it became known that he was quite the Lothario. And it was like, man, you didn't like Tiger Woods because you thought he had like he was a great role model for your marriage. You liked him because he was an awesome golfer. Like, just admit that. That's fine. I mean, I think the thing here is that even if, you know, regardless of how you feel about his views, it just seems like a really childish, petty and like like a poor judgment on his part
1: right and i don't disagree with any of that i think you're i think you're totally right about all of it at the same time though like i've always felt like the uh distaste that that you know a certain segment of the mma population has for john jones has gone beyond that like obviously it's ridiculous to say that like he's a coward or that he he's trying to avoid a rematch with alexander gustafson or any of those things which all of that is is fairly uh prevalent in the in the conversation but like another part of it that has always kind of bugged me is that uh you know people have always kind of harped on his uh his verbal gaffes or him like not being very you know relatable as a human being which like it seems like a weird standard i guess like you said to apply to a professional fighter because like it's pretty obvious that john john jones is is the best fighter of his generation and if we stay on the track that we're on now is going to be the greatest fighter of all time even though I don't like saying that because anything can happen, uh, you know, as we move forward. But like much of the criticism that he has received seemed to like uh, stem from the fact that that MMA fans didn't like him personally, Uh, which I have always thought was weird. And I've always kind of tried to stick up for him now that I know that allegedly he's going around uh, posting homophobic comments to teenagers in Sweden. I'm like, I'm a lot less inclined to be like, hey, guys, let's cut John Jones some slack. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of that's how I feel about it. About
2: it. Yeah, and and it does make it harder. And I mean, although I think that uh, you could make the same point when uh, Tyson Griffin was posting these like screenshots of direct messages he said he was getting from John Jones, uh, just kind of talking shit to him pointlessly, uh, and you know, and then making fun of him for posting the the screenshots. I mean like, oh, hey, you're like LOL, John Jones is messaging me, and I don't know. I mean, I think that he is really image conscious, which I think. Too much sometimes. <laughs>
1: I, maybe. I, I don't know. We'll, I guess. Well, he's image- We've got some recent evidence to suggest <laughs> maybe not image-conscious
2: enough, depending will, on which story you believe. Doesn't. I mean, I guess he he underestimated the the power of uh, the internet and the power of stuff like that to spread, but- Every single time I do an interview with John Jones, at the end of the interview, he always has some point where he, where either it was a point he was trying to make in the interview where he'll be like, he'll circle back to it and be like, Hey, did you understand what I was saying about that? Cause I really want to stress that. Like he's basically just trying to, as, you know, as subtly as he can say to you, like, I hope that you put that in the article the way that I meant it. Or he'll, and I think maybe this is the thing that tells you how he's feeling now in regards to MMA media and MMA fans. Like when I was in Albuquerque the last time and I talked to him uh, and he's done this the last couple times. so At the end of an interview, he'll be like, hey, that thing I said earlier, I don't want that to be taken the wrong way. Um, you know, if you could either not use that or like just make sure I don't come off poorly. Like he's you can tell as he's doing this stuff, he's thinking about how it could go bad for him uh, and. You know, that's the kind of stuff that that does seem like a glaring contradiction. Like you're thinking that much about that kind of stuff as you're doing it. But then, uh, you still seem to think you have enough anonymity that you can get on some kid's Instagram page. And then afterwards just say, Oh, I was hacked. But I mean, hey, you look at all these enablers he has around him between uh, his management and the UFC. Everybody's going to jump up and say, Yeah, he was hacked and no story here. Everybody move along.
1: Well, let's talk about the fight. Uh, I think this is a reasonably interesting fight for John Jones but I also don't think it's one Glover Teixeira is probably going to win. Uh you know the the one of the strange things about this fight is the the pre-fight uh commercial that we saw a yeah. hundred million times <laughs> uh, in the last couple of weeks on all of these UFC shows uh, really goes out of its way to try to stress Glover Tashira as uh, the most dangerous and toughest opponent for John Jones in his career. Uh, and the thing that is really kind of strange about it is that a lot of the sound bites that it uses to try to make that case are actually people talking about Alexander Gustafson, right?
2: Yeah. Well, and about the, the, you know, Greatest light heavyweight title fight of all time. Joe Rogan just sitting there going, wow, at the broadcast table. Which
1: I do actually really like that part of the commercial where the last thing that you see is that, like, uh, fraction of a second long clip of Joe Rogan being like,
2: wow. And there's, like, an energy drink or something in the foreground. Whoever
1: whoever did that, whoever, like, produced that commercial, good job.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, and I was talking about this a little bit with uh, Danny Downs on our trading shots thing this week because that's the kind of thing where it seems to me, like, why do you need to do this? Why does everything have to be the greatest thing ever or the biggest fight in history? Like, I mean, you wanted to make this Glover to share a fight. You're basically saying he's next in line. And he's a guy with a good jiu-jitsu who hits hard. Like, I don't know if it always has to be like this is the greatest fight in the history of the world and the greatest fight that could possibly be made. Uh, I mean... Obviously, you probably don't want to go with my uh, tagline of, hey, it could be worse, or something, you know? Like, I understand that you got to hype it up a little bit, but uh, if you're, you know, if you're the boy who cries super fight all the time, or, you you know, you're the boy who cries greatest fight in the history of the universe, then it it, it doesn't mean anything at all, and this kind of promotional hyperbole just rolls off our back.
1: Yeah, uh, it is a little bit weird, The uh, you know, the extent to which it's done, I mean... I guess maybe when when it's all said and done, I do kind of circle back around to the idea that you know the UFC is trying to sell us stuff. They're a, a yeah, but, I mean, they're a sales company. But they they're,
2: only know one way to to sell stuff, it seems. And like, well, there's these only days. one way to sell Cutco knives, man. You go in the house, and <laughs> you cut a piece of
1: rope in half, and you tell the housewife that these are the sharpest knives she'll ever own. That's how you do it. That's how it's done. Uh, I, and I, I think the only reason that we even think that that's weird is that the UFC has advanced to this position in MMA where – it's so big and so powerful, and uh you know controls so much centralized power in the sport that it naturally has this you know responsibilities that we don't normally associate with promoters like you know it 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 has the it gives its fighters health insurance now, like when it goes overseas it has to act as its own regulator and and so like in order to make the sport work, it has to like Take on some of these responsibilities that, that we wouldn't normally associate with, uh, a sales entity or like a, you know, a salesman. But at the end of the day, it is the steward of
2: the sport and the salesman of the sport.
1: Right. It's trying to straddle the fence in a lot of ways. So like, you know, uh, I always go into it, uh, You know, go into pre fight hype stuff, knowing that I'm watching the side of the fence where the UFC firmly has its foot planted in the it's totally trying to sell me something right now, which, you know, is one thing that I think we overlook a lot. And like when you hear Dana White talk, when you watch these so-called documentaries on on Fox Sports one, and even when you watch UFC tonight, like you can never lose sight of the fact. You
2: watch UFC tonight.
1: No, I just actually deleted the timer on my DVR for it because every time I turned it on, I would have like eight episodes of UFC tonight, and I was like, "Well, I'm not gonna go back and watch a UFC tonight from like two months ago, so like I might as well like delete this." But like, uh, it's always important, I think, to remember whenever you watch any of that stuff, like, ah, these people are actively
2: trying to sell you something. Okay, and that's fine, but like. Say you're a, a fan uh, of the USC and you know John Jones and, and you're pretty excited about John Jones. Maybe you watched the Alexander Gustafson fight uh, and you watch this fight. You're trying to determine, you know, you don't really know Glover Teixeira. Uh, you're trying to determine whether this is something that you should buy. What does that, what does that promo tell you? What does that promo tell you that you're, you're buying? You're buying the greatest light heavyweight title fight of all time? Well, how can you know that beforehand? A. And B, if that were true, why don't I know this guy? Why isn't he a bigger deal than, than he is? And let's be honest, he's not. Like, you know, Glover Teixeira was not the guy everybody was saying. Well, he's obviously next in line after, after TKOing Ryan Bader. Uh, you should be trying to like tell people, like, here's why this is a good fight share is a guy with good jujitsu who hits hard. Uh, how will John Jones deal with that? And it doesn't seem like that's the thing that they're doing. They're just saying, like, best to ever, get in here now. If, the only reason you should miss it is if you're dead or in jail, and if you're in jail, break out. Right. You know, like that's yeah. what they're doing. And it seems like that is kind of like you're relying on just like screaming at people about how awesome it's going to be to do all the work for you uh, when it seems like. There is a case that you can make for Glover Teixeira. Hey, he does have some some stuff that maybe we haven't seen John Jones deal with. Uh, he has you know knockout power, and that's always a threat. Let's see how John Jones deals with that. I, I feel like if you have a little bit more respect for your audience, then you can make that case without having to recycle your Jones Gustafson sound bites.
1: Yeah, I, you make. Yeah, that's a good point. And like, I think it's a it's a promotional strategy that certainly leaves you open to backlash. Like if people buy into it thinking that it is going to be the greatest thing of all time, and then it turns out not to be like, do they come back for another one? Uh I mean, at that point, you've already got their money. So maybe you don't care, but you got like, their
2: money this time,
1: right? You're trying to 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 build a bridge to the future, I guess you could say you want to win these people over to become at least the casual fan that we always talk about. Um All right, well, let's uh just real quickly, uh, do you think John Jones has any trouble here?
2: I don't think so. I mean, I think that uh, the thing that, and I mean, some of this is maybe uh, making excuses after the fact, but uh, when I was at Jackson's, the, the word around Jackson's was that John Jones really did not train that hard for Alexander Gustafson, was believing his own hype a little bit too much and thought it was going to be easy. Uh, and also, people were saying it was going to be easy, uh, and then went in there and found himself uh, in a fight. And when I was down there watching him train this time, he was definitely not doing that. He was probably the only, like, recognizable Jackson's team member who was at every single practice that I saw there and was beating the shit out of people in training, too. So it seems like he kind of learned his lesson there. Uh, I expect him to go in there. I mean, Teixeira's a a tough guy, but I say, you know, second, third, fourth round, John Jones puts him away, uh, and then we can get back to business and start talking lusty-gusty again.
1: Yeah, um, and I think that's all bad news if you're Glover Tashira, uh, to hear that this is the fight that John Jones is choosing to take super seriously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that there could be some trouble for him if he can't take Glover Tashira down. Uh, obviously he packs a lot of power around in those hands. Uh, but, uh, uh, I mean, I think I also wouldn't be surprised to see a, uh, what I guess you might call vintage John Jones performance where he comes in, does that big, a huge outside leg sweep that he has that looks like it kicks his leg all the way across the cage and then goes, uh, elbow to the noggin straight, uh, Brandon Vera style. And we get out of there in, in a, in a couple of minutes.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if he needs to take Teixeira down. I mean, I think Teixeira is, uh, the, the height and reach advantage that, that he'll give up and he's kind of a, a hooker. Uh, who really wants to get in there and, and, and pound on you with, with those kind of shots. And he's got to get in close to do that. Uh, and I don't think John Jones lets him if he doesn't want him to.
1: All right. Well, let's do just saying stuff and then we will wrap up this special, supersized episode 100 of, uh, the Co Main Event podcast. God, I'm ben. exhausted. I know. My, my voice is going out. Uh, I've probably broke my hand sometime during the first round. Yeah. And just,
2: I, I feel like I definitely, this, this old E has definitely broken a rib or two. It's tough down there at the
1: bottom. Every time you take a drink of that, you just look like you can't believe that you're drinking it.
2: Uh, It's one of the few times (laughs) I wish we had
1: had video so that people could see the face that you make every time you take a drink of that. Uh, What's your just saying stuff for this week?
2: Well, Chad, I'm just saying I'm sure you noticed that Donald Cowboy Cerrone was sporting the Budweiser logo. Yes. Uh, and uh, then was said to be throwing back the, the buds uh, in the post-fight press conference as fast as he could to the point where he had to get up and go use the bathroom during the press conference. Well, Chad, I'm just saying there has never in the history of mixed martial arts been a more fitting, more uh, natural sponsor-fighter relationship than Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Budweiser. Yeah, that's a fact. Uh, Just, I mean, it's a kind of thing where as soon as you see that guy with a Budweiser logo on him, you wonder how did these two perfect lovers not find each other before now? And it makes you wonder because when uh, Donald Cerrone was not looking too good early on in his fight with Edson Barboza, the thing that he claims turned it around was when he decided fuck it, which also has to be what you say before you finally just pop open a Budweiser because there's nothing else around and you want to have some form of alcohol. So fuck it. Budweiser.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, Can that be a new tagline? Just saying.
1: Fuck it. Budweiser. It's it's almost uh it's almost as good as here we go. Wasn't that the one for <laughs> Coors Light or no, Miller way Light? Way better was, than here we go. Yeah. Uh, just saying. I feel like it's it's. Kind of cool, but also kind of sad. Now that, like, that maybe, uh, how many beers can Donald Cerrone drink before the press conference might turn into a thing? Like, maybe what part of Donald Cerrone's deal is that he's going to be drunk at the press conference. That seems, but he was going to uh, do that anyway. No, yeah, point. you're right. I'm just saying, like, kind of like making it into a thing feels seedy or something to me.
2: <laughs> oh, you'd re- you'd rather that uh, all of our descent into alcoholism is organic? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, uncompensated. Uh,
1: well, Ben, I'm glad that my just saying stuff comes on the heel of our 20 minute long discussion about, uh, respecting the the viewer because, uh, you know, now that we've seen all of these pictures of Shaquille O'Neal hanging out backstage at the UFC, uh, making Yoel Romero just look like a tiny little child, <laughs> uh, can we finally admit that like somewhere deep down in the back of our minds, we'd want to see Shaq fight in the UFC no I, I mean if we're gonna do Ronda Rossi and Gina Carano like well, why the fuck not you know uh, I, I I know that it would be like a freak show and would mean the death of MMA the competitive competition-based sport but I, I just have to admit that somewhere deep down like in the reptilian part of my brain I want to see seven foot two 400 pound 42 year old Shaq Make that walk to the octagon wearing uh, a pair of fight shorts as big as a grown man's pants, with like both of his knees wrapped up like a mummy, uh, while fushnikin's plays on the uh, on the loudspeaker. Like, I know that 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 it's not right. No, it's but wrong. Aside from from decorum, maybe the truth is we're all just scared, man. Like, maybe we're scared that Shack would be too dominant.
2: Against Jose that he, Canseco,
1: that he's going to come in there against Jose Canseco, and he's going to be like a shack knife and cut cut us with precision. <laughs> no one will be able to stop
2: him. Just saying. I'm just saying. I hate you for even <laughs> floating this idea.
1: Ah. Uh. Well, that's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. We will be back next week for a normal show, uh, which we will, we will blast through. It's going to be like we're training for the Olympics, throwing cannonballs instead of a uh, shot put. And then we get to get back to the actual shot put. It's going to add like five feet onto our throws. Figuratively? I was, I think I was a chariots of fire reference. Okay. We better wrap up. Yeah. I guess is the, is the, is the moral of the story. That's going to do it for this week. We'll be back next week. But as for right now, we're done. We are
2: through. We are out. You know, the thing I think that's the worst thing about the Jose Canseco thing is that he's going to hear that.